This week's episode is with Brie and Sabrina. Now, Sabrina is one of my doula partners, and Brie was one of her clients. And she walks us through a very interesting fertility journey that ended with IVF and then getting pregnant right at the onset of COVID and the hospital shutting down a week after she signed a contract with a doula. So then she walks us through birthing in COVID virtually with a doula. It's a really cool, interesting story. There is a moment in it that not even I, after 18 years, could have guessed happened. I totally freaked out. You got to hear it. All right, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, just a little something before we get started today, and that is, what happens if you don't take Birth Story Academy? So like, let's say you're pregnant, that's why you're listening to the Birth Story Podcast, and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like, I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. Like, I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, like wash that anxiety away, 
because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Brie. Hey, Sabrina. Welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you guys? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So today is Brie and her doula, Sabrina. Hello. (laughs) If you guys listen to the podcast, you know that Sabrina has helped out a little bit. And she's one of Colin and I's doula partners in Charlotte, North Carolina. So Sabrina's cry, 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 cry is in nursing school and studying to be a midwife. So I fear the doula world is losing you for a little bit. Is but I will always help out when needed. Yes. And the world is gaining a great new midwife. So. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Hopefully in five years. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late, you guys. Well, Brie, we are here to talk about your COVID birth stories. So yeah. we're going to start with your first, which was like the beginning of COVID and doulas weren't allowed. Okay. So we're going to talk to you and Sabrina about how you navigated that. So before we get started, share with us a little bit about your journey to pregnancy, because I've heard from Sabrina, there was a fertility story. Yes. So my husband and I did the whole typical, got married, waited a year, wanted to, you know, do some things and then started trying. I actually got pregnant right off the bat, but then quickly had our first miscarriage and then unfortunately had two more within the next, I guess probably about nine months. So we had three miscarriages in nine months and nobody could really tell us what was going on. So it was suggested that we do IVF for the genetic testing part of it because they thought maybe something was genetic that was causing our miscarriages because every other test that we had on both sides for him and for myself they were all negative. Everything was fine. So went through IVF vitro fertilization, took two egg retrievals and four um, embryo transfers to get us a pregnancy that stuck around. We had two more miscarriages within those years and then one transfer that just did not take. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. It was, okay. it was a lot. <laughs> so the first three miscarriages in nine months. So you were getting pregnant yeah. like very easily and back right. to back. And I'm assuming you were miscarrying pretty early on or any of them after 12 weeks. No, all pretty early on. The first one was about nine weeks. Um, and honestly, with that one, I was I mean, I was very upset, but it was kind of like I work in the medical profession as well. So it was kind of like one of those things I was like, okay, this happens. You know, it unfortunately is part of life. Sometimes we're going to move on. But then the second one happened. And then the third one happened. And with the third one, um, I had to have a D&E surgery to help me um, pass the, the baby, which was pretty horrible. Say something right there too, because of what's happening right now with Roe v. Wade. Yeah, just to bring light to this situation. Did anyone let you know in advance that you would be consenting to an abortion? So actually, that day um, of the surgery, um, we were already at the fertility clinic when this one happened, and um, our doctor had kind of prepared us for it. I had 
taken the medicine, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head now to try to, to medically pass um, the embryo. Hmm. Say it one more time. Cytotec. Maybe. I don't know. I've had it started with Misoprostol is like the generic, same same drug. Yeah. Generic Um, brand name. (laughs) Right. So that did not work. And then I remember, yeah, the day of the surgery, the nurse at the surgery center was explaining it to me. She said, you know, this is a, an elective abortion. And I was like, well, like it definitely kind of took me by surprise a little bit. Um, but yeah. yeah, so it's definitely makes me think about, think about it right now. Mm-hmm. It is common. And it happened to me that they did not tell me it was an abortion. They said, sign this paper for the procedure. And I read it and it said, no, you gave me the wrong paper. I'm not having an abortion. I even said the words, I wanted this baby. And they said, no, you're having an abortion medically. Yeah. So read your papers. Yeah. Yeah. Even looking later at my medical chart with my miscarriages, it says spontaneous abortion, which is. I mean, it's hard to see for sure. It is. I just and I'm sorry to bring that up, like kind of on the spot with you, Breach, is everything that's going on in like the news and the Supreme Court and stuff right now. And I just think that there is a, a lack of education on Absolutely. all of the things that an abortion could mean. And a yeah. DNC, um, which is done earlier, or DNE, which is done later, those are abortions. And so, you know, I think it gets lost in literature sometimes and in bills. Sometimes not everyone is able to miscarry at home and some people don't want to miscarry at home. And so I think this is a great opportunity for us to educate on the fact that that is something you need to take into consideration that you would need to consent for an abortion if you were getting this procedure done. So, um, so anyway, we'll leave it at that. So we could talk about that for yeah, another, so another podcast. Exactly. So your first two, you miscarried at home. So the second one, we actually didn't know we were pregnant. We had gone back to the doctor to see why we weren't getting pregnant again, because I was ovulating, all of that. And I was actually actively miscarrying when we were going back to the doctor. So yes, both the first two at home. Okay. Woo, not easy story, Brad. Yeah. How old are you? Uh, I am 37 now. Okay, so you were 34-ish? 30? Yes. Okay. 30. So we got married when I was 31, started trying 32, and then took took three years for us to okay. have a baby. Sabrina, do you know if it's common to go to fertility that quickly with three losses? Cause I know some clinics will say you have to wait a whole year or like, but was it the third loss that they were like, okay, this seems to be a pattern. I think that it's once it's a pattern in a set year, cause your body obviously is getting pregnant. So the statistic is one in four have a miscarriage. So if she has three in a row, then something's going on medically that we need to then figure out why. So the year 
wait for infertility is if you have like one miscarriage and you keep trying and you don't get pregnant. But I think if you get pregnant pretty easily and the babies are not staying, then that is where they speed up the the fertility journey. Okay. So Brie, prior to this, had it even crossed your mind that you may have to go to fertility to have a baby? No. And I can remember asking my gynecologist, like right after we got married, you know, I'm, I'm over 30. Is there anything I need to be aware of? Is there anything I should be looking at? And she had told me, you know, there's nothing in your history that should suggest anything. Um, my sister had struggled with her first, but she had low ovarian reserve, which I do not have. So it's kind of in the back of my mind a little bit that maybe something could come up, but no, no, it never Never, even with the first miscarriage, it didn't, I didn't think that it was going to be a problem after that. When so. did you have a conversation or did you at all about just continuing on and not going to IVF? Or were you like, no, we want to be really proactive? And I mean, it's expensive. So I'm trying to figure out, like, did you have insurance that covered it? Like, did it ever cross your mind to just keep going? Or were you like, that was just too tragic and we can't put my body through that? anymore where was your headspace and making those decisions so i am super fortunate that where i work has ivf benefits so that was definitely a great thing for us um the other thing is my gynecologist at the time she did not go by that one year rule she said six months is she's like that's long enough when you're actively trying when you're tracking your ovulation when you're you know you've had like sabrina said when you've had these pregnancies before she was like this is enough and we did so after the second one was actually when we started uh, trying to book with the fertility clinic and everything and we were already there when we got pregnant the third time so we did keep actively trying even when we were first started going to the fertility clinic but after that the third loss was when I was like okay well I can't I can't do this again I can't have another miscarriage so close together like let's pump the brakes and figure out what's going on here. Okay. So you mentioned you had a DNE. Did they send the fetus away for testing? Um, they did not, which that was our choice. Okay. Um, and part of me thinks maybe we, we should have done it. Um, but still like at that time, like I said, we were kind of already starting the fertility process. So I figured if something's going on, we're going to, we're going to figure it out, figure it out. So. Okay. So in your IVF journey, you guys find out that essentially you are good and your husband's good as in unexplained, I'm going to air quote infertility. I mean, when you're getting pregnant, you're pretty fertile. Um, So did they do any exploratory surgeries or kind of like look for, you know, fibroids or the lining of your uterus? Like, did they just test you for everything before they implanted? Right. So tested for all the things. Um, I don't have fibroids. I don't have endometriosis, which is a common, you know, thing for people to have when they're struggling. I don't have PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. I don't have that. They tested the lining of my uterus, did all the things I have. I don't even know how many ultrasounds I've had. Um, but just nothing was 
showing up actually with our fourth transfer um, that actually was the one that stuck. Um, that was the one that did show a little bit of problems with my lining. Um, and they told us that the chances of it working were down to, to 30%. Um, so that was the one that kind of had the least likelihood of, of working. And that's the one that did work. So wow, you just never know. So <laughs> sperm was fine. Yeah. Like, okay. So sperm was fine. You were fine. So when they did the egg retrieval, how many eggs did you get? Oh gosh. Uh, the first time around, Oh, I don't even remember. I think 11 or 12. Okay. And we only ended up getting one embryo from that. Okay. Um, and they did send it away for genetic testing and it did end up being genetically abnormal, but it was something random. It wasn't like something that would, that would show why we were having miscarriages. Okay. Um, and then changed up the medicines for the second egg retrieval. And then we got 20 eggs, I believe the second time ended up with six embryos, which were all genetically quote unquote normal. So, um, and then, so the, yeah, the fourth okay. one is what gave us our first daughter. And okay. we have two more on ice. So the first three, did you, I mean, like technically you're pregnant, right? When they like, right. They, Right. Put the embryo up there and you're technically pregnant. But I know sometimes right. it doesn't like implant and that kind of thing. So like, right. di so did any of them stay for a period of time or did they all three immediately not stay? So two of them stayed for a very short period of time. So like technically to like have a positive pregnancy test, even after the medicines were out of my system. Okay. Because if you test too early, you can get a positive pregnancy test, but it's from the, the medications. Um, so it would, those still would have been though, under the medical definitions considered a, a chemical pregnancy. So you get that positive test, but then it's quickly not positive anymore. And then the third one just did not, didn't stick at all. Okay. So. Okay. So the fourth time. Yes. Girl, you have, some, you have some endurance, fertility <laughs> endurance over here. Tell us about how you found out like you were pregnant. This one was here to stay. So we had the fourth transfer in early December and all of the others we had waited till we went to the doctor to have the blood test to see whether we were pregnant or not. And this time... I was just like, we're, we're testing at home. We're, we're doing this. So, um, took the test and it was positive, of course. So, but I was still, you know, we've, we've been there, done this before. So tested a few days in a row and it was happening. Um, and we went into the clinic and, you know, met with our doctor who we dearly love and she's been there for us she listens to us she you know just she was amazing still is amazing but and it was she confirmed it and you know we had several ultrasounds in a row which were you know I I am not really a super emotional person but that first heartbeat was just all kinds of tears for me tears for my husband it was just it was amazing so it was right before Christmas so it was just 
And that's 2019, right? Christmas 2019. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) knows what's coming. Brie, had you ever heard a heartbeat before? No. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it was, oh, I could like tear up thinking about it right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was was amazing. I remember asking the ultrasound tech like three times. Can you, can you go back to the heartbeat? Can you go back to the heartbeat? Can I hear that again? So it was, it was amazing. Brie, I had a Doppler and I listen to oh, yeah. baby's heartbeat every, I know it's not safe, y'all. I sh- I'm not endorsing this on the podcast because the <laughs> FDA says not to do this, but I was, I bought a Doppler oh, and yeah. I listen to that baby's heartbeat every day. Both 100%. Of <laughs> yep. So did I. I'd be like, yep. there's not a lot of movement today. Choo, 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 yep. you know? 100%. Yes. So, 100%. <laughs> if you are one of those crazy people that gets a Doppler and tries to listen to the, um, a lot of times you can't hear the heartbeat on the belly until after about 10, 12, 14 weeks sometimes. So right. if, if you are listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, I do have a Doppler, just don't freak out. Just keep it in mind. You may not catch that heartbeat, you know, until a little bit into your second trimester. So, all right. So now you're pregnant. That was a long right. journey. And now at some point you have to start thinking about, oh my gosh, like we've been spending all this time trying to get pregnant, but now I'm pregnant. I need to like change the focus to parenting, birth, feeding, you know, the brain switches over at some point. So did you like, we know Sabrina's on as your doula, but like at, at some point were you like, hey, I think we should have a doula. Like, how did that go down? It's so funny you say that because we literally, it was literally like one day at the beginning of March, we were like, oh, we're really going to have this baby. Like we need to start thinking about what we're going to do to prepare. Um, And I had always wanted to have an unmedicated birth. Um, It was just something that I was super interested in. Um, My mom had unmedicated birth with all four of us. Um, I had friends that have had medicated and unmedicated and always said they'd go the unmedicated route again. And I just wanted to be as prepared as I could be. Um, And I knew that having a doula would help, help me in that process, help me be more prepared. Um, So in March we started uh, doing some Googling, looking, looking up doulas, doing some interviewing and that's how we met Sabrina. Awesome. Okay. So Mar- this is March, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> so you're interviewing doulas right at the beginning of like the shutdown, right? Right. Right. So like on your interview with Sabrina, like Sabrina, I'm going to bring you on now. Like Sabrina, let's go back to March, 2020 as doulas. It was scary <laughs> to take on interviews even. Because because we weren't sure if we were going to be able to support a birthing person, right? So tell me about like where your mindset was, Sabrina, as a doula, like with even taking an interview, not knowing, like what did those conversations look like for you and Brie? Um, why do you want a doula? Like I, when I was interviewing clients, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just like a social thing to do. 
because knowing it was a complicated time in our country and hospital policies, it was, um, it was just more complicated to support a person. So like, what is your long-term goal? If you want an unmedicated birth, then yeah, you're probably going to need a doula during this time frame. But if you're getting a doula because your friend had a doula and you think it's a good idea, I might say, have said, I don't know if I can support you to where you'll feel the benefit of it based on your birth goals. Does that make sense, Heidi? Yeah, it does. I remember being in a similar place because as entrepreneurs, Brie, and business owners, we had to make a decision also. Do we shut down with the hospitals and collect unemployment? Or do we continue to take clients on and try to serve them as best as we can virtually? It was a really hard decision on whether or not to continue to keep your business open. I know lots of businesses throughout the country felt that. But you guys are like literally like, meeting in March at like the very beginning of these conversations. Sabrina, had the the hospitals shut down yet when you met Brie? No. Okay. I think she signed the contract. I was working with a partner at the time and I think she signed our contract a week before the hospitals shut down. Wow. And Brie works in one of the main hospitals or worked at the time in one of the main hospitals here. So she like knew what was going on before the news did. And she would text us. So like things are a little crazy. And I just remember as it progressed and then the lockdown happened, we both were like, oh, it's only going to be six weeks. I'll be able to be with you. Like we kept saying, there's no way. I'm not going to be able to be with you in August. Like, it's just not going to happen. I will be with you. Yeah. Foreshadowing. I was only with her at her house. (laughs) So, so let's get into it from March until August. Brie, what did that planning and preparation look like with a doula? So, you know, we had a couple kind of pre-meetings, I guess, still. Um, one of them, I think, was over Zoom. And then we were, we did meet in person as well. And I was, you know, reading all these books. And um, I did start to take a, a natural birthing class that ended up to be a little, little too natural for me um, <laughs> because I knew I did want to birth in, in the hospital. I, that's where I felt safe. That's um, And it this one was just a little, little too over the top for me, but um, Sabrina was always available. Um, well, I don't even know how much we texted back and forth, just kind of with questions, with, you know, ideas, with prep work as far as what me and my husband Andrew should be doing to get ready. I just, I'm definitely a person that wants to be prepared and wants to feel like they're ready. So I, I don't know. It was just like, I just felt like each week, like I was getting like more and more prepared and I was going to be able to do this. And it was, you know, going to go right by the book. Every, everything was going to go exactly how I had read it. And that was not the case. (laughs) (laughs) 
And she was one of my most prepared clients. Like at our final prenatal, like she had the tools, like, here's my rolling pin I'm going to bring. Here are my tennis balls I'm going to bring. Should I buy this rebozo? And Andrew, her husband was like, show me all of the moves that I will need to do so we can practice them at home. Like focused, like a coach in the game. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a touchdown, all of the things. But we also had a conversation because one of the hospital systems opened up a vendor program for doulas to be allowed back in. And they told us June, I think, 20th, Heidi. Yeah, it was 2020. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they didn't tell us what actual day we would be allowed back in. But they said, sign up and it will be soon. And Brie was not in that hospital system. So we had a couple conversations of, I can't tell you what date they're going to let me there, but do you want to switch practices to another hospital system in the chance that it's open by the time you have the baby? And I think on both of our ends, and Brie, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was a hard decision because she was close with her practice and we kept saying, surely the hospitals won't still be shut down. Right. And I was, I, the first time I delivered at the hospital I worked at, you know, like I said before, it was where I was comfortable. It's where I felt safe leading up to it. Um, like Sabrina said, I, I really liked the practice I was at at that time. Um, and yeah, we still, even in June, never thought that, it it would still be shut down in August. I don't don't think anybody felt that. Yep. And I don't, they, they opened in December, this particular hospital system for what, like two days and then everyone got COVID and then they shut down again and for several (laughs) more months. And then it wasn't until this last, it was 2021, right? Like spring 2021 that they reopened after yeah may 2021 yeah because they had they had yeah. opened in december for like literally a couple of days and then shut down again so it was still even when i was pregnant with my second it was still that still shut weren't, down. weren't allowed yep well brie i'm gonna uh shameless plug over here but <laughs> the reason that i created birth story academy my like online childbirth education course during the pandemic was for exactly what you just said. Like Sabrina knows like, you know, half of our clients go unmedicated. The other half of our clients are planning their epidural, you know, some are wait and see attitudes kind of to see how it unfolds. But I created a course that was all hospital based, like policies, procedures, like triage, the stages of labor, because I think I wear that hat pretty well of like a little bit crunchy and a little bit evidence-based and a little bit crunchy and a little bit, or probably more, a lot more evidence-based and a little bit crunchy. So Birth Story Academy, Brie, would have been a great fit for you. It wasn't out when you were pregnant, but like for (laughs) anyone who's listening right now, that's like you're birthing in a hospital, but that you're interested in a medicated or unmedicated birth, but you want a little bit of that, a little crunchy, hippie, you know, women's rights, like advocate, like I've got a voice partnered with like, I really like my providers and I feel safe in a hospital. And so that's where I'm delivering. Then Birth Story Academy is a really good 
option for people. So I just wanted to put that out there. Like, cause I hear so often, well, I tried to take this unmedicated course and it was just so, so like, you know, anti everything. I now, think that that's funny too, because when I met Sabrina, that's probably like one of the first things I said is I'm, I'm not crunchy. <laughs> I, you know, I want a birth in a hospital. Cause I, I didn't, while I knew I like a doula could be a great support person for me. I did kind of have this image of my head in my head that I'm like, Oh, they're going to try to talk me into a home birth and like all of these things. And while I wanted to go unmedicated, it wasn't the end all be all, you know? So I definitely tried to make it clear that I was I'm, I'm not crunchy. <laughs> yeah, we can debunk some of those myths, right? Like there are yeah. myths out there that like a doula equals an unmedicated birth. Nope. Uh-uh. You can plan right. your epidural and a doula provides tons of value. If you even knew the positions that we can put you in with an epidural that like you can't, can't even imagine the low cesarean section rates because doulas are moving your pelvis and opening you, you know, even if you can't feel your toes. We're still helping you get your babies down and out. Now I'm curious to see what happened, you know. Okay, so let's get into the birth. How did you know you were in labor? And like, spoiler, I know that you went into spontaneous labor. So Brie, wh what gestation were you and how did you kind of know like, ooh, I think this is it? So went to my 39-week appointment, hadn't had any signs of labor up until then. I think I was like one centimeter for ever and actually had a kind of a rough appointment there. The doctor that I saw that day stripped my membranes without asking me, um, which I was definitely mm. not happy about. I'm having all. a physical reaction um, y'all. Yes. So it wasn't something that I was against at the moment, but I didn't want it, you know, before I needed it. And what I love after the fact, Brie wrote a letter to the hospital. So doulas can complain all day long that informed consent and the provider can't do this without your permission. But many of our clients will be like, well, it's over. It, it can't change anything. And I love that Brie let the hospital system know this happened to me. I was not okay with it. Yeah. So Brie, this happened to me. I was like 42 plus weeks pregnant when this happened. But, you know, the doctor went to do a vaginal exam and then was like, I just helped you out a little bit. You should be in like labor tonight and swept your membranes. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I like start crying in the parking lot, like totally freaked out. But I'm a doula and I practice with my clients. You know, if you're going to get a vaginal exam, make sure to say in advance, do not strip my membranes. But then you get in the right. room and you like, you freeze, you forget everything, right? Like this is a real right. thing. We, we have pregnancy brain, we forget everything. So let's just do like a little role playing, okay? <laughs> so like, if you're pregnant out there, let's pretend, let's Brie, let's go back to that appointment. Um, okay, Brie, you're 39 weeks. We're just gonna do a quick little cervical check and um, see see where we're at. What would you say now or tell everybody, how would you tell everybody to use their voice now? 
and this is what I said for my second pregnancy. I said, I, I want the, the cervical check. However, I do not want my membranes swept and said it probably at least four times before um, actually started saying it at my 36 week appointment because I was someone who did want the cervical checks, mm -hmm. but I made it clear from my 36 week appointment that I did not want my membrane stripped. Good for you. So. And did you feel like you were heard? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Good for you. I'm sorry that that happened to you. So you get your membrane stripped at 39 weeks against your permission or without informed consent. And what right. happened? So I head home and all the way home. Now what I realized were contractions. I started having contractions. At first, I thought it was just some cramping. I call Sabrina and vent it out. <laughs> I'm so upset about what happened. And then um, now looking back, I realized I was doing some nesting. I made two apple cobblers. I went out and weeded the garden. I vacuumed <laughs> at the, at that point, I thought I was just like rage cleaning. Cause I was so mad. Um, and then that night at nine o'clock I'm laying in bed, I roll over and my water breaks. So, uh, my husband was at work. So I call him and I let him know, but, uh, and of course call Sabrina, let her know. I think all of us at the time thought we had so much time, you know, my, it's my first birth. Everything I've read is like, Oh, we're, you know, in these early stages and it could be hours and hours before things start to progress. So Sabrina, Sabrina, I, I, um, I said, take your unison and go to bed. Yep. Cause if you, we, so prom premature rupture of membranes, which is technically what Brie had because it wasn't full active labor. Heidi, you can disagree with me on that. If I do. I totally agree. I'm wrong. Totally agree. If you are not consistently contracting five minutes apart or less for 60 to 90 seconds and your water breaks, that's pretty much the first sign of true labor. That's considered prom premature rupture of the membranes. Yeah. And, and we said, I was like, was it clear? Did it smell funky? Was anything in it? And she's like, no. And I said, are you cramping? No, I feel fine. Okay. I think we should take a Unisom or some Benadryl and go to sleep because it might kick in in like six hours. Yeah. So data shows that when you experience premature rupture of the membranes, contractions typically start within six to eight hours, but can take up to 24 hours. And that's when we, you, the R was rupture, like rupture of the membranes. Now, every now and then we have like what we would call like a high tear or a little bit of amniotic fluid is just kind of leaking out of you. And in those instances, sometimes it can take more like 24 to 48 hours. Um, but that's why Sabrina suggested go to bed because once you get into your active labor, then it's probably another 12 or 24 hours for delivery in a first time birthing person. But Birth is always unpredictable. I can see both of you guys. Right. The audience can't see, but I can see both Brie and Sabrina's faces. So I don't know where we're going with this story. But so um, did you take the Unison? I did. Okay. I did. And I, I laid down. Um, my husband had fortunately gone to work a little early. So he was already on his way home. So 
he got home, checked on me, went and ate some apple cobbler, you know? So then he usually doesn't go to bed till much later. He was like, okay, maybe I should lay down too. So we're both in bed. What time? Um, uh, so I went directly back to bed. So I was back in bed by, by nine 30 after I'd made all my phone calls. He probably got in bed a little after 10. Okay. So, um, and then started kind of feeling some things still didn't really know what it was. Um, but at 10 30, all of a sudden things picked quite picked up quite quickly, um, started having, bowel movements pretty, pretty regularly, especially centered around what I know now are, were the contractions. Um, so call Sabrina and just let her know, Hey, things are changing a little bit, but we still think, you know, we have plenty of time. Nothing is, you know, nothing is going wild. And of course my, my husband is asleep by this point. <laughs> so go back to bed. I'm laying down, but I, I keep having to get up to go to the bathroom. And then right about midnight, I start throwing up and I am throwing up and throwing up, especially again, around these contractions. Um, so Andrew, my husband called Sabrina again. And at that point, I'm pretty sure you said then Sabrina, do you want me to come? And we were both like, no, we're okay. You know, we have, you know, we still have so much time. Um, but I, things were just were picking up really rapidly. Um, the pain was increasing, you know, I was trying to do all the things that we had learned, but I'm still just, I threw up, I don't know how many times. So do you think you were just in denial, Brie? Like why oh, you didn't probably. tell Sabrina to come? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I th- I'm, Andrew and I are both pretty, you know, strong, independent people. So we were like, we got this, you know, Sabrina needs her rest. We don't want to bother her. Um, but then around probably what, well, I don't know, Sabrina, I can't even remember what time, maybe one or two. Um, we were like, okay, Sabrina needs to, Sabrina needs to come. And I think even Sabrina could hear me in the background at one point when Andrew called her and knew it was, it was uh, time for her to <laughs> come. I think I, I didn't even ask. Um, he called me and was like, so it is increasing and she's still throwing up. What should I do? And in the background, I hear, (laughs) and I said, Andrew, it's going to take me 45 minutes to get to you. I'm going to get dressed and come over now. Yeah. And he said, you think? And I said, professionally, yes. He goes, okay, we'll see you soon. Good job. So that's 1 to 2 a.m. going on over there. So it's like 1 or 2 in the morning and Sabrina starts heading over. I need to go back in time, though, for just a minute, Bree. When yeah. this provider swept your membranes without your permission, I usually ask our clients for the acronym SPED, the station, the position, the effacement, and the dilation. Do you remember any of those numbers from, like, Besides getting swept, do you remember that you got a check? Like, were was your cervix significantly effaced or dilated? So, I, if I remember correctly, I was seventy percent, um, only one centimeter, which I had been since thirty six weeks. I, I'm pretty positive they didn't tell me the station. Do you remember, Sabrina? Yeah, I think you said negative two and anterior position. So it wasn't a posterior. 
So when you told me all those numbers after you said he he swept you, I was like, we might go into labor tonight. Mm-hmm. So Sabrina, let's share with the audience. Can you share with the audience why anterior, why 70% of face, like what uh, what things triggered you to think um, this may be sooner than later? So the cervix is amazing and I might get a little nerdy here, Getting but nerdy. in pregnancy, it. it is faced and pointed towards, I call it the back door, but it's sort of towards the rectum. So if the provider is like, can you put your fists under your bottom? Then your cervix is probably posterior and they have to like reach underneath the baby's head to get to it. So that means it's not at the position of the vaginal opening. And so you're less likely to have a baby in the next 24 hours if it's posterior. So the cervix has to move to the front door it has to move to the vaginal opening. It has to shrink in a face. So if you look at your like pointer finger, and I'm demonstrating this, even though you guys can't see it, but if you look at your pointer finger, that's, if it's full, then your cervix is 0% effaced. If you bend it to your knuckle, your first knuckle to your um, hand is a 50% effaced cervix. If you look at like your nail bed on your pointer finger, that's like a 75% efface to cervix and the width of your nail, like looking at it is a hundred percent effaced. Like the thinness of a piece of paper, essentially. So yes. I'll say paper thin at a hundred percent. And then it also has to open and dilate. Heidi and I don't get excited about a cervix that's like two to three centimeters dilated unless it's like 70 to 80% effaced and mid position or anterior because so much has to change in early labor to get that cervix ready to dilate. Yeah. So Brie, what we're saying is you had a very ripe cervix with 70% effaced in an anterior position. So like, we don't love vaginal exams. I'll be honest, right? <laughs> I'm for my clients. Brie, I was you. I got every vaginal exam. Like I said, I got my membranes accidentally swept, all the things. I'm a numbers person. I needed to know. But I was getting vaginal exams because I also understood the progression of SPED and understanding the station of the baby, the per position of the baby and the position of the cervix, the effacement, the dilation. So I could know, like, even if I was still one centimeter dilated, but I went from 50% effaced to 80% effaced, I was like, whoa, big progress. Whereas most people here, I'm still one centimeter dilated and they think nothing's happened. And we're like, no, this is like 80% of face is like big deal. Okay. So Sabrina is like ticking in her algorithm of like, okay, membrane swept. Okay. Water broke. Okay. She had this really thin cervix and it was anterior. Okay. So Sabrina, you start driving to the house. What are you thinking? How many hours you think till delivery? I was also in denial because I'm pretty good at assessing like where a client is in labor. And I was like, there's just no way 
she can be as far along as she sounds. So I was thinking I might have a come to Jesus with her and be like, you need to suck it up. Like, I don't know if we're like this far along. And then I get a text from Andrew that said a ton of blood just came out in the toilet. Is this normal? And in my head, I was cussing. <laughs> well, let's for the audience, that is very normal for advanced stage labor. So could you walk through bloody show, Sabrina, and what normal bloody show is and what not normal bloody show is? Yeah. Um, bloody show, the cervix is vascular. So as it melts away and thins, blood vessels burst and you have just blood coming down and it's normal. It's not like your first day of your period blood. It's not like coming, like dripping in the toilet. Typically some people, there is a variation of normal. Some people do have more bloody show. And recently I've had a couple people and Heidi has too, that we've had no bloody show. And it's like messed with us because we're like, surely we're not about to have a baby. So there is a wide range of normal, but blood, if it's red and you're contracting and in labor, that's actually a sign that your cervix is progressing and things are coming along. So you're doing a great job. I always say the grosser, the closer in all things. So Brie had vomiting. She was using the bathroom often and had bloody show. So I was like, and those closer? primal guttural sounds. Yeah. And she'd only been in labor for three hours. It's crazy. And I said, Andrew, totally normal. I am 15 minutes away. And then I updated him every five minutes. Okay. Okay. So Bree, how are you at this point? Andrew's communicating for you right? Can you walk us through what you were experiencing, like what it felt like? So I actually like gone out to our loft area and I was sitting on the couch because I couldn't lay down anymore. Um, and we have a, a bathroom out there as well. So I'm just like going back and forth to the bathroom. Um, still honestly in denial. I'm like, there's no way this is happening. I'm like, Oh, you know, early labor hurts a whole lot more than I thought it would, <laughs> but you know, we still have so much time. Um, you know, we were trying to time the contractions, but I think, you know, that's, a, that's a tricky thing that Sabrina had talked to us about, but it's still, when you're in the moment of trying to time a contraction, it, you know, we thought it was going to start and it was going to stop and we would know exactly when and that. So that was definitely a, a tricky thing. I think once Sabrina got there, I was realizing that this was, this was happening. This was real. Um, and honestly, I was starting to get like a little scared because it was happening so much faster than I thought it was or than I thought it would, I should say. So were you feeling pressure like in your vagina, your rectum at all at this point? Um, yes, but now after having two babies, I realized it wasn't the pressure that I thought it was, but there was definitely that stretching sensation, that pressure down there of, 
yes, things were happening, but not that rectal pressure that, that people talk about. So, but there was definitely lots of sensations. Okay. So when Sabrina walked in and you saw her for the first time, what was that like? Uh, I was definitely like, oh, thank God <laughs> she's here. Uh, we're gonna, I honestly thought that things would like calm down a little bit, that we would be able to, you know, she was going to guide us through some more of the things that we had learned. You know, we were going to do the hip squeezes and the different positioning and all these things that were going to make me feel better. Um, so I, I, I definitely was so thankful that she was there. Okay. So Sabrina, when you walked in and saw Brie, what was your assessment? I need to time these contractions to see how close they are. <laughs> um, because she was in labor land, um, which means she couldn't really communicate. She was very zoned in. Her eyes were glassed over. She just looked at me and said, I can't move off the couch unless I'm running to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heart so, knows if you're, if you're looking at your person and they look like they're stoned like that, like Sabrina said, the eyes glassed over your birthing person's probably at least five to seven centimeters dilated. So that's what I thought. I was like, oh, we're five to seven centimeters dilated. And I would never consider putting my hands in a woman's vagina to check her cervix. Like the, I'm not that doula until you become a midwife in five years. <laughs> in my scope of doula. Yes. I never even considered that, but I don't even know if I said to Brie, are you comfortable putting your hand up there and telling me what you feel? Did I say that Brie? <laughs> I think we talked about it, but I remember you, like when I was sitting on the toilet at one point, you just looking down there and I remember you saying, oh, (laughs) so I don't, I don't, I remember us talking about it. We didn't ever do it, but I remember you looking and you were able to see something was happening. (laughs) So what I saw was perineal bulging which as the baby comes down and your body changes and opens your labia minora kind of comes out more things are a little bit more swollen and her bloody show was dripping into the toilet which is indicative that it's a little more than six centimeters mm-hmm. oh, so, yeah. and she was still vomiting Every single contraction, which is very transitiony, which is more seven to 10 centimeters. So which also yeah. and she lives an hour from the hospital. No. Oh, God. OK, now I'm getting scared. OK, so algorithm running in doula's heads, guys. Right. We scope of practice. We never do cervical exams. We look at the physical signs to kind of um, understand, like typically we can hear even just in the voice on the phone or, or FaceTime and see kind of where someone may be at in their birthing process. So at this point, Sabrina's going, oh shit. <laughs> I said, Bree, I'm just going to talk to Andrew really quick, do a couple contractions on the toilet. And we walked to the bedroom and I said, Andrew, I need you to get dressed 
put the dogs away. We're going to go to the hospital. And I even said, I'm having my go bag with us. And I think I need to ride in the car with you. And he said, I agree. He is a police officer. So he's had training. But initially, I wasn't going to ride with him to the hospital because the hospital wasn't going to allow me in. I didn't know, based on her presenting symptoms, if we were going to have a baby in a car, honestly. Wow. So uh, Andrew's eyes were bug-eyed. And I said, stay calm. We got this. And I said, okay, Brie, where's your clothes that you want to wear? We're going to go to the hospital. Are you okay with that? And she said, yeah. And then I helped get her dressed. And then we started doing hip squeezes. And she was like, oh my gosh, that helps so much. And it was interesting because I then showed Andrew how to do it. And Brie can tell how that happened, how that worked. So we had done them again, like leading up to this, you know, in our preparations or whatever. And um, he, like Sabrina said, you know, my husband's a police officer and he definitely looks like the typical, like, you know, big muscles, all that kind of thing. <laughs> and he was trying to do this hip squeezes. And I was like, go away. I need Sabrina. Like I couldn't, he does, he could not do them strong enough for the relief. And I was like, I, I need Sabrina. <laughs> bring her back over here yeah partners are often afraid to squeeze too hard and we squeeze like with all of our might I mean I mm -hmm. even sit on my, my client's sacrums like I they're on their hands and knees and I turn around and just sit on them because the the amount of pressure you need like our partners are too afraid to give that much pressure so you're in the car Brie now on the way to the hospital and it's like an hour drive um did you feel intuitively like I'm close to delivery? Um, I definitely felt like it was coming quickly. Okay. I don't know if I had like wrapped my head around it, but I, I definitely was feeling like this is, you know, it's not going to be hours from now. Like this is happening. I could not, I tried the whole, you know, kind of sit backwards on the seat in the car. I thought that was going to be, super comfortable. It was not, um, just to, you know, give you a, an idea. We made it to the hospital in 20 minutes. So it was definitely, well, your husband's uh, a police officer. Did he put his like yeah. lights on or whatever? Like, here we go. Uh, no, we were, we were in our regular car, but Sabrina and I were in the back seat, and she was giving me hip squeezes. And I can remember still having that guttural, you know, noise coming out and, um, Sabrina had said, you know, to my husband, if you need to pull out, if I tell you to pull over, pull over. And my husband now says that he thought in his head, hell no, I'm getting us there. I know where the fire departments are. I know where the police departments are. I'm getting us somewhere to have this baby. Um, so we get to the hospital, we get out and Sabrina and I are still kind of in the front of the hospital. And I remember leaning on this ball statue thing that they have. And I'm you know, contracting there and Sabrina's is giving me hip squeezes. Uh, we go inside and of course they're still doing the screening process and a girl's trying to take my temperature. And I'm like, seriously, like <laughs> I'm about to have this baby. Were you pushing so, actively? Not yet. Okay. When we got to the front desk, um, 
it was taking forever to check in. And I looked at Sabrina and I said, I feel a lot of pressure. I need to push. Um, so we're, we're at the front desk at that point. Okay. So that's when I was like, this is, this is happening. Okay. <laughs> and when she said that in my head, I said, I need to call for the team because another doula had a client deliver the baby in the hallway of that front area, like the week before. And so I was like, I can't have her deliver. She's an employee here. So, so I just very gently, I, I, I said to the guy who was typing like with one finger at a time to check her in, I said, I need the um, delivery team. Uh, she's pushing. Good job. And I had three separate people tell me, you can go up. You can go up with her. We'll let you go with her and the dad. And I said, are you sure? Like COVID policy? So we were like, oh my gosh, I get to stay with you. That'll be amazing. Um, and then Bree said, when she heard the code over the monitor, the speaker, she goes, that's my code. They're coding me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. So Sabrina, this back and forth is going on and eventually they're like, no, that's COVID. You can't go up. So Brie, they come with the stretcher, they get you. And then what happens? Um, so they tried to put me on the wrong set of elevators and we got stuck in the elevator. <gasps> um, so I don't even know how long it was. It's such a blur in my head, but I remember being in the elevator and things started to get a whole lot more clear. So I was like, something is happening here with my body. Um, so we get up to triage. I'm still throwing up, but they check me and they tell me I'm only a four, um, which we were like, there's, there's no way, there's no way this is, this is right. Um, so, but yep, I was only a four. So um, I had read about in books, how your body can kind of go backwards yeah. If something happens, if you get scared, if something's unsafe, yeah. then I was like, sure. Your cervix will close everyone. It will swell. It will regress. It will close. If we are mammals, if your body senses a threat, it's done. You will, your labor will stop. It will stop to protect our young. Your cervix will close. People don't think yeah. that can happen. If you don't stay primal, if you don't stay safe, if your body senses a threat, we're done. So you're in the elevator, you're stuck in your body. It's amazing that you said you get this awareness back. Because if you're starting to get leave labor land and come back to like reality, yeah, your body's shutting your labor down because it doesn't feel like it's safe to have a baby. Right. I ran her stretcher into the wall like three times. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh, Brie. Okay. So now you're in triage and you're four and you're alert now. So even more stress. Right. right. And you're so after that, so at that point I still had planned on going unmedicated. Um, but after that, my contraction just never got regular again. Um, never picked up. Um, I did, I got in the bathtub. I was able to relax. Um, um, got a few checks throughout the day, but still they never picked up. I never progressed past a four. Um, so at that point, it's the afternoon, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And they say, you know, we need to start Pitocin. And at that point, 
you know, I had been having contractions for what, like 14 hours, 16 hours, something like that. So I made the decision to get an epidural with talking to my husband, talking to Sabrina, which I hundred percent do not regret. Um, cause the baby didn't even come until midnight. So I still had quite a bit of time. Absolutely. What yeah. I will say is this story is crazy, but timeline spot on. So we typically say around 24 hours, right? For a first time birthing person from the time your water breaks or you go into active labor. So you ended up being on that 24 hour timeline, but you had a massive hiccup when you transferred to the hospital. You were in your deep primal mammalian self transition, all the things, and then reverse. Yeah. It took all that time to try to get you back to your mammalian state that you were at at home. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You got an epidural. Y'all, anyone listening to this podcast? Yes. At that point, you get an epidural. You have to have an epidural at that point as a medical tool to help you not have a cesarean section. Right. Like 100%. So took a while. She ended up being posterior. So pushed and pushed and pushed, which was definitely a bummer that Sabrina couldn't be there in person with me because we both felt that if she could put her hands on me, then we could have could have changed some things, but wasn't the case at the yep. moment. Spinning babies on you. Uh, Sabrina, were you coaching her virtually at this point or Andrew virtually? Um. Yes, we were. Once she got the epidural, I said, sleep. All I want you to do is sleep. Let them up the Pitocin. You're not going to feel it. I need you to be able to get rest to push the baby out. But I was concerned that baby probably did go OP or asynclitic when her cervix regressed because it was such a quick, like back it up in there that it probably messed physiologically with the process. Probably when they jammed you. Yeah. When they jammed the cart and and jostled, if you have a big jostle or a big jerk, that'll flip a baby in a second. Yeah. So I didn't, we were just texting. And then at 8 PM, he said, they're ready to start pushing. And I got on my iPad, they got on their iPad and I was uh, just next to her on the table or the bed. And then I stayed for four and a half hours on the iPad coaching, pushing. It was amazing. Like still such great help. It just mm-hmm. wasn't what we, what we yeah. thought it was going to be. But what a testament right there, Brie, that like even a dual virtual is still amazing help, right? So anyway, did you like just look over? Could you just see Sabrina or did you just hear her voice and know she was there telling you guys what to do? I could see her um, and I could hear her talking and um, she was uh, very nicely guiding the nurses as well. Um, Even though I pushed for four hours, it was still a very calm experience. Um, It wasn't, you know, I felt I felt safe. It was, again, not what I thought it was going to be, but it it was calm. Yeah. So everyone pushing phase in an unmedicated first time birthing person is typically 30 minutes to two hours. 
medicated, very normal for it to be two to four hours, and in an OP position, medicated, very normal to be four or more hours of pushing. So Brie, that's very difficult, but I want to tell you for OP and medicated, that's kind of... Kind of what it is. But did you have a vaginal birth? Are we getting? Yeah. I was like, does this end in cesarean section? Oh my gosh. I was like, if this ends in C section, I'm going to cry. So, no, had a a vaginal birth. Everything was great. It was was amazing. Okay. (laughs) We had a baby. Um, Okay. Brie, that was crazy. I know my whole audience is with me right now that we're like, what? I thought you were going to have a baby in the elevator. Like got stuck in the elevator. I cannot believe it was like a whole nother day. That's just crazy times. Right. Um, what a wild ride. Wow. Um, yes. Bree, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your two birth stories and your fertility journey. Before you drop off, what was your favorite baby product that you used? Probably not product, but just the support, just, you know, like, like you said, having a birth class, prepare yourself ahead of time uh, and a lactation consultant, a birth class, having a doula, just all the things ahead of time that you can prepare yourself unmedicated or not, just have that knowledge base. So, you know, sort of know yeah. <laughs> what's coming. <laughs> so one medicated, one unmedicated, I would definitely say your medicated birth was completely necessary as an intervention and a tool to help you have two vaginal births. So yeah, well done. Thanks for being here today, you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. Okay, I have a really amazing discount for you guys with anjahealth.com. So it's A-N-J-A health.com. They are my exclusive partner for cord blood and tissue banking. If you've listened to episode 88 of the podcast, where I interview the CEO, Catherine Cross, all about cord blood and tissue banking and the 1,000 questions that I had. My child has cerebral palsy, from a birth injury. I cannot go back in time. It is one of my greatest regrets. So I partner with Anja Health because I'm so passionate about cord blood and tissue banking. And I really want to teach you guys all about it. Code birth story gives you the biggest discount that there is available and they are committed to birth story always being the biggest discount. So right now it makes your kit only $20, which essentially covers shipping. So it's $180 off with code birth story. So please consider cord blood and tissue banking. Look at anjahealth.com. Again, it's A-N-J-A Health. Dot com. And if you are going to bank your cord blood and tissue, then please use code birth story. So you get the biggest and best discount that is available.